Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 24 of David, a psalm. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory might come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord. This uh, Easter season, we're spending some time looking at the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father. Uh, It's the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples to serve really as a model for our prayers, to show us the types of things that we ought to be saying to God in our prayer life. Um, So Jesus gave us this prayer to teach us how to pray. And a a question that sometimes is asked is, why do we need to be taught how to pray? I mean, shouldn't prayer just kind of flow naturally, whatever's in our heart, whatever's in our mind? Um, Prayer's just talking to God, so why don't we just talk to Him, right? Can't I just, can't I be free uh, to say whatever I want? And that's actually a really, really good question. It shows, it shows that somebody has an understanding of, of a truth that the Bible teaches us, and that is that God does, God does want his children to experience a, a great sense of freedom when they pray to him. Um, in that regard, the God of the Bible is, is very different than the God of Islam. In Islam, every person is to pray exactly the same words in exactly the same language using exactly the same posture at exactly the same times every day all over the world. Uh, The God of the Bible has always been different than that. He he desires and invites a kind of freedom from us when we talk to him. So in the Bible you find verses like Psalm 62 verse 8. It says, pour out your hearts to God. Pour out your hearts to him for he is our refuge. Or 1 Peter 5, verse 7, cast all your cares upon God, for he cares for you. So um, God indeed wants us to experience a kind of freedom and openness and honesty when we approach him in prayer. So then you're saying, well, then why did, why did Jesus tell us to pray a certain way? Why did he give us this, this structure, this template to, to, uh, to govern our, our prayer lives? And the answer, uh, the answer to that is that discipline and structure are not the enemies of freedom. Discipline and structure are not the enemies of freedom. In fact, if you have kind of a structure for your prayer life, you, you sit under the tutelage of Jesus, you let him teach you how to pray, rather than hindering your freedom, it actually enhances your freedom in, in, uh, in praying. And to illustrate that, imagine, imagine you see a, um, a young piano student and she has submitted herself to the discipline of, of practicing her scales, hour after hour, 
And you say, why do you do this? Isn't this boring? Don't you want to be free to express yourself musically? Just hit whatever keys you want. She would say to you, listen, submitting to this discipline is not hindering my freedom musically. This is what's going to set, set me free to express myself musically. This is, this is what's gonna teach me to play the kinds of songs I want to play and, 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 and the, the kind of music I want to make. And it's, so, it's the same way with prayer. If you allow Jesus to, to teach you some structure and to give you some discipline to your prayer life, this is not gonna, this is not gonna constrain you. This is actually, you will find this over time setting you free. Listen, you will pray with a sharper focus. You will pray with, a, broad, with a, a broader scope. You will pray with a greater power, a sense of confidence before God. So the, letting Jesus teach us to pray does not take away freedom. It just enhances it. So we're studying the Lord's Prayer. And um, to do so, we're, we're going to be looking at different psalms in the Bible that help us to give voice to the various aspects of this prayer. So today, today we're looking at Psalm 24 and um, letting it kind of show us how we can voice two particular petitions that Jesus said we ought to be lifting to God when we pray to him. So when, when we pray to God, we pray, uh, our, our pattern is like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We begin by worshiping him. And then Jesus says we express these two thoughts. We say, thy kingdom come. And we say, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now, those are not exactly the same thought. There's some difference between inviting the kingdom and seeking God's will, all right? We're looking at them together, however, today because they do have a lot in common. And what these two petitions have in common is, in a sense, both of these are prayers of submission. When you pray to God, God, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. What you're doing is you are submitting yourself to God in your prayer life. You're saying, Father, it's not about my kingdom. It's about yours. It's not about my, my plans for my life. It's about your plans for my life and for the whole world. It's not, it's not about my dreams, my comfort, my goals, my glory. No, Father, it's all, it is about you. I submit myself to you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. These are prayers of submission. Now, here's what I want to do with talking about this. I want to ask just this one question. What, is it, um, what does it mean when we're praying in this way? You may not use those exact words, but you're praying this type of prayer to God. What does it mean to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? And I would, I would suggest it means this. When you pray in that way, you are doing three things. You are acknowledging something, you are asking for something, and you are longing for something. You are acknowledging, you're asking, you're longing. All right, so what are you acknowledging? Well, when you say, thy kingdom come, thy be will be done, you are acknowledging God's rightful authority over and ownership of your life. You are acknowledging that God has authority over you and that God, that God owns you. You're basically saying, Father, you are my Lord, you are my master, you are my creator. All of who I am and everything I possess, all of it, belongs to you. you. You see that in verse 1 of, of Psalm 24. The psalm says this, the earth is 
Whose? Who does the earth belong to? It says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So this is saying that God owns, God has authority over everything and every person in the entire world, including you and me, right? Uh, God owns the world. Why does God own the world? Well, verse 2 tells us, because he made it. He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. God owns the world because he made the world. And, you know, it's not hard for us, it's not hard for us to understand that. I mean, in our, in our society, we have patents, right? We have copyright laws because we understand that, it, listen, if you make something, it belongs to you. You paint a painting, it's your painting. You write a song, it's your song. You, you make a sculpture, uh, it's your sculpture. You invent something, you have the right to de determine what happens with your invention. We just understand that if you create something, it's yours, right? The creator owns the creation. And here's what God's words tells us. Listen, God created you. You didn't, you didn't ask to be born, did you? You didn't make yourself, did you? You didn't will yourself into existence. You're not even keeping yourself alive right now. God, God is the one who made you. So God owns you because he made you in addition to that, the Christian understands that, the Christian says, listen, not only does God own me because he made me, God owns me because he redeemed me. If you look at verses three through six in this psalm, you see a description here of the personal qualities that are required in the life of any person who wants to come into the presence of the living God and know that he or she will be accepted by him. It says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in, in his holy place? Who, who are the people that can come into God's presence and rather than being destroyed by his judgment, be welcomed in, in his arms of love? What kind of people? Well, here's what's required. It says you must have clean hands, meaning your actions must be godly. It, it says you must have a pure heart, meaning your thoughts must be clean and God-honoring. And it says, you must not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, meaning no idolatry. You put God first ahead of everything else at all times in your life. So these, these are the requirements that must be met in the life of anyone who would dare come into the presence of God and be welcomed by him. Now, any Christian that I have ever known in my whole life would say, I don't meet those requirements. I just need to be honest with you. I have not always had clean hands. And I have not always had a pure heart and mind. And I haven't always put God first. And so uh, I, I don't deserve to be accepted by God. I have sinned. Would you agree with me that you have sinned? Right? We, the Bible says we all have. So believer in Christ, let me ask you, why is it why is it that you have been accepted into God's presence? And let me tell you, if you've trusted Christ, you are accepted in God's presence. Arms open wide, smile on the Father's face. You are completely accepted. Why is that? Because he redeemed you. To redeem means to buy something back and, and 
God bought you back. He paid the ransom to free you from your enslavement to sin. He bought bought you with the lifeblood of his own son. So um, because of this, you belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So the, the Christian walks through life saying to his or herself, you know what? I belong to God twice. I belong to him doubly. He's the one who made me. He's the one who redeemed me. I am his two times, right? And so when you pray to God, your kingdom come, your will be done. You're just acknowledging that. You're You're saying to the Father, you're my Lord, you're my master. All of who I am, everything I have belongs to you. I don't have anything that you didn't give me. The body that I have, the, 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 the beating of my heart, the family that I came from, every educational opportunity that has ever been presented to me, any and every talent or ability that you gave to me, the home that I live in, the, 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 every penny in, in the bank, all the clothes in my closet, every friend that I have, everything that I have, it belongs to you. It's all yours. Have you ever just said something like that to God, just affirmed that, acknowledged his ownership? You said, God, so, so you say, God, so here I am. I'm your servant. Do with me whatever you want. Use me however you would like. And if you'd rather use someone else, that's fine. Use them. Let me just be in a support role. It doesn't matter. I'm yours. And listen, as you, as you get older, some of you young people may not have realized this yet. As you get older, you find out that things don't go in your life the way you always planned and dreamed. Often things will will take place for you that you did not want for your life. Things will take shape that you hadn't envisioned. And yet as you pray this to God, you're saying, God, your will be done. You're, You're wiser than I am. I trust you. You don't owe me anything. You haven't treated me as my sins deserve. If you had, I would right now have been banished from your presence. So if this is what you've ordained for my life, I will not complain. I will accept it from your hand. I'm yours. You know, an example in the Bible of somebody who prayed that way is um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Virgin Mary. You know the story. Um, the angel comes to her and says, you have been chosen. You are pregnant. You will give birth to the Messiah. And we know that that was a great honor. We consider her blessed. But that was more than a blessing. That was a great, great burden for a young, unmarried woman to find herself pregnant in a small, rural town in a very... Um, traditional conservative culture was to invite shame and rejection and possibly stoning to death. I mean, it's basically God came to her through that angel and said, listen, I know that you've had dreams for your life. I know that you've had plans for your life, but that's not going to happen. I have something different chosen for you. Has God ever dealt with you that way? You had certain plans, you had certain dreams, and God is just, the way things have unfolded, it's as if God has said, you know what, I planned something different for you. It's what happened to Mary, and her prayer was, have you read this in Luke 1? Here's her, her instinctive response to that. She said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it 
be to me according to your word. So my brother, my sister in Christ, do you pray that to God? Do you just affirm to him, I'm yours. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are acknowledging God's authority, God's ownership. We're acknowledging something. Secondly, we are asking for something. And what are we asking for? We're, we're asking that God's will for our life would be done. So what is God's will for your life? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever had somebody ask you that? You know, pray for me. I'm trying to discern what God's will for my life is. I'm seeking to know what God's will for my life is. It usually, I've said that myself. Usually when we talk about, I'm trying to discover God's will for my life, usually what we mean is, um, where does he want me to live? What career path does he want me to follow? Is he calling me to a life in ministry in the church? Does he want me in the secular world? Does he want me to get married? If so, whom does he want me to marry? We, we ask questions like this, right? What is God's will for me? Well, believer, let me tell you, I can tell you God's will for you. God wants you to be holy. No matter where you live, no matter what you do, no matter whom you marry, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 says, For this is God's will, your sanctification, which means you're growing in, in your inner character to be more like Jesus Christ. You know, the, so these concerns about where we live, whom we marry, what we do, it's not that those are unimportant. It's perfectly fine to ask God for wisdom as you make those decisions. And I, I would guess that you could make those decisions in a number of ways that God would be pleased with. There's a lot of, lots of jobs you might do. There are a number of people you might marry, a lot of places you might live, and God would say, fine with me. A primary concern to him, his revealed will, what he has told us he wants us to do. He wants you to live a life that will honor your Savior, in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions. So when we read verses like 3 through 6 in, in, in Psalm 24 that talk about the need to have a clean heart and, and, a, and a, a clean hands and a pure heart and not, and not give ourselves to idolatry, um, these verses remind us of our sin and they point to our need for a Savior. But they do a lot more than just that. Verses like these also inform us of the kind of people God has called us to be. He's called us to be a community of men and women and boys and girls who, who seek his face. Do you see that line? We're seeking the face of the God of Jacob who, who long to be transformed. We know we're not that, but we want to see the Spirit changing us so that our hands are clean, our hearts are pure, so that we're putting God first. And so when you pray for the will of God to be done for you, you, you ought to be going to God every day and say, God, here are some ways that I'm aware the Holy Spirit needs to change me. Would you, would you be doing that work in me? I, I just want to present myself. I'm the canvas, you're the painter. Would you please repaint me? May change me. This is why so many Christians over the years, do you do this? So many Christians have found that their prayer life is enhanced if before they spend time in prayer, they first spend time reading the word. I've heard it said, explained this way, um, scripture, God's word, that's the way that God speaks to us. Prayer is the way that we speak back to God. So if you're doing that, you, you would spend some time every day reading the word, and then you, as you go into your prayer time, you might just ask yourself, and you say, God, what are some things that you told me today in your word about the kind of man or woman you want me to be? You want me to be courageous. You want me to be compassionate towards the poor. 
You, you, want, you want me to be very patient with the people you've placed in my life. Whatever it is that you read, and then you would just pray that back to God. This is what it means to pray your will be done. You would say, God, form, form those character qualities in me. Work in me today. That's what you ask for. Um, the old Westminster Shorter Catechism says that when we pray for God's will to be done, it says we pray that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to him in all things as the angels do in heaven. So when you pray for the kingdom to come, you pray for God's will, you're acknowledging something, God, I'm yours. You're acknowledging something, you're asking for something, God, work in me. And then thirdly, you're longing for something. You're just kind of letting your heart fill up with passion and you're longing and you're desiring. And what are you longing for? You are longing for the kingdom to, of God to appear. You're longing for the king to come, right? Now, if you look at Psalm 24, nobody is exactly sure the context in which this psalm was written. All right, we know that it was composed by, by King David, but we're not sure exactly where. But as, as scholars look at the Old Testament and they read the life of David, many, many scholars suspect that this song was written to be sung by the residents of the city of Jerusalem on that occasion when, when David and the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant into the royal city. You can read about that in the Old Testament. They brought the Ark of the Covenant into the, to, to the city, and many think that this song was composed for the people to sing as they were waiting for it to come. Now, what is the Ark of the Covenant? You see the Raiders of the Lost Ark? You know, it's that, it was that sacred um, chest, that sacred box God told Moses to make. Inside the box were the Ten Commandments, the covenant God made with his people. On top of the box, the sacred covering, the mercy seat, upon which was sprinkled the blood of the atoning sacrifice. It was the, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was sort of the symbolic locus point of the presence of God in ancient Israel. When the ark was there, the people said, God is here. The ark, the ark just symbolized the presence of the living God. So it could be that the people who first sang Psalm 24 were standing by the walls of Jerusalem, looking at the gates, waiting for them to open so that the presence of God would come into their city. They were crying out for the presence of God to be made manifest where they lived. So they were, they were singing, lift up your heads, you gates. That means open the doors. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? Yahweh, the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. This is what they sang. And this is, guys, this is what we pray when we pray your kingdom come. We're longing for the presence of God to come to our world. Now, why would they long for God's presence? You know the answer to that, right? Because when God makes his presence known, his blessings abound. And so when we pray for the kingdom of God to come, basically we're praying three things. First, you are, you are praying that God will destroy the kingdom of darkness. 
You might, you might even walk through your neighborhood and as, as, you, as you pray, just think about all the families that, that live around you and just pray, God, God, would you, would you set people in this neighborhood free from addiction? Would you rescue people in this neighborhood from any kind of abuse? Would, would anybody who's in poverty, would you lift them out of that, God? Would you put an end to oppression and injustice in my world? People who've been deceived by the lies of Satan, would you open their minds to understand, God, would you please destroy the kingdom of darkness. So we're praying that God would destroy the kingdom of darkness. We're also praying that he will send the kingdom of glory. In other words, we're praying, God, we want the king of glory. We want Jesus to come back. Do you ever, you ever pray that? It seems like a weird thing to pray, right? Do you ever pray? Lord, send him back today. We're ready. We're weary. This old world has been spinning around a long time. We're getting worn out. Will you please send Jesus back again? Do you know that probably the oldest recorded Christian prayer that we have anywhere is what you find it in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22. Um, the reason they, they think this is the oldest prayer is because um, this was not written in Greek. The people of Corinth, it's a letter to the people of Corinth, they spoke Greek. The whole book of Corinthians is written in Greek. You get to this very final verse, and the apostle, for some reason, he writes a phrase in Aramaic, which isn't even their language. Aramaic was the language that was, had been spoken by the very, very first Christians in Jerusalem, the very first church. Um, so he's writing, it's, it's as if, hey, we all learned that one phrase from the people that got this started. We all know this one. It's like it's the oldest prayer ever prayed by any Christians anywhere. And the Aramaic phrase was, Maranatha, which means, Lord, come, come, Lord. Probably the oldest prayer that Christians have been praying for. Now, hundreds and hundreds of years, Christian men and women have been crying out, Jesus, come back. Come. Do you ever pray that? Come back. So you're praying for the kingdom to come. You're praying that the kingdom of darkness will be destroyed. You're praying that the kingdom of glory will come. And you're praying, you're praying that the kingdom of grace will be extended. I pray every day for Jesus to come back again. And I also, as I pray that, I am aware that there are people I love dearly who are not ready for his return. They haven't bent their knee before King Jesus. They haven't trusted him. They're living in rebellion against the king. And so I pray, God, will you please extend your kingdom of grace? Will you, Lord, add today to the number of those being saved? Will, will, will you give me a chance to talk today about somebody, with somebody about Jesus? And, and I just have a whole litany of names that I pray for every day. God, will you please, for these people, send your messengers to them. Put, put a Christian in their life. Send your words, send your spirit, bring them to know Jesus. So um, this is our longing. Do you let your heart long? Do you let your heart just fill with desire in the presence of God? Lord, come. So that's what it means to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You acknowledge, God, I belong to you. You ask, God, keep working on me. And you long. Jesus, come back and may more people come to know you. Now, um, to, to, to end this, what, what would happen in your life if you prayed these kinds of prayers every day, day after day? You submit to that, kind of like playing your scales. You submit to that discipline. I bet you would find yourself over time 
you would be a completely different man or woman, perhaps, than you are today. It just There's something about praying this way that changes your character. It makes you somebody who's just, you're submitted to God, you want him to keep working, you're longing for him to make his goodness known in the world. So here, and to, to uh, illustrate that, let me read to you the words. These are the words of a man who, as far as I know, has been praying this kind of prayer over and over and over again uh, to the Lord, because he's a very committed Christian man. This is, this is from the memoir of a famous um, NFL football coach, Tony Dungy, all right? And he was writing in his book about a very painful event in his own life. His son went off to college. Parents didn't know, but the son was struggling with depression. And in a moment of despair, um, the boy ended his own life, all right? And so this is this godly football coach writing about his response to this. And he says... Why do bad things happen? I don't know. Why did Jamie die? I don't know. But I know that God has the answers. I know he loves me. And I know he has a plan, whether it makes sense to me or not. Rather than asking why, I'm asking what. What can I learn from this? What can I do for God's glory? To help others. You see, you see how this kind of prayer can change you? You're just like, I didn't ask for this. But God, I'm yours. If this is your plan. And I want you to change me. I, let your will be done in me. And I want others to be reached. God, may your kingdom come. So let's be praying. Amen? Praying these kinds of prayers to the Lord. Let me lead us in prayer now. Father, we are your people. You don't owe us anything. You have not treated us as our sins deserve. You have been kind and good, and we trust you. So whatever you have planned for our lives, give us grace to accept it with gratitude and not to complain. Continue your good work in us. Would you be shaping us every day more and more to be like Jesus? And may we see your presence come into this world, crashing into our neighborhood, setting people free, and may we see Jesus come back. This is our prayer. Amen.